Lesson 5 for October 25 to 31, Love and the Law. Sabbath afternoon, October 25. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we open your word again today and we thank you that as we do so, we can trust that your Holy Spirit will be there to guide us because we know that through the millennia you have been trustworthy as your word shows and as you've shown in our lives. Now, as we open your word, we pray that that trust will show in our lives to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is James chapter 2 and verse 13. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's read that again. James 2.13 For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We know the story well. The question is, how well has it sunk in? First a priest, then a Levite, going from Jerusalem to Jericho, encountered a man lying half dead in the road. Though both just finished their religious duties, neither was apparently able to link those duties with any sense of obligation to the injured soul, and so each kept walking. Finally, a Samaritan, a half-pagan, happened by, took pity on the man, bandaged his wounds, and paid for his stay at an inn where he could recover. He also promised to pay the innkeeper for anything else the man might need. We read this in Luke chapter 10 and verses 30 to 37. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Jesus told that story in response to a question by a lawyer about eternal life. Rather than tell the lawyer, try harder or do more, Jesus painted a picture of love in action. That is, we are to love even in potentially dangerous or unpleasant circumstances, and we are to love even those we don't like. Though it's not easy and often goes against our nature, True love involves a substantial amount of risk and calls us to tear down barriers that separate us as people, both outside and especially inside the church. This week, we'll see what James has to say about this crucial truth.
Sunday, October 26, The Man in Gold. Read James chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Well, let's do that. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It is, among other things, a study in contrasts. One person is rich, well-dressed, and apparently important, while the other is poor, shabbily dressed, and apparently a nobody. One receives the utmost courtesy, the other disdain. One is offered a comfortable, prominent seat. The other is told to stand off to the side or find a place on the floor. The description is not a very pretty one, especially because it is depicted, potentially at least, as happening in a worship service. The Greek word for gathering or assembly in verse 2 is synagogue, probably an early reference to a Jewish Christian Sabbath service, many of which would have taken place in private homes. Let's read about that in Acts chapter 18, verses 7 to 8. And that reads, And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justus, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptised. In the Greco-Roman culture of the first century, one's public image and position were all important. Those with wealth, education or political influence were expected to use these assets to enhance their reputation and benefit their personal interests. Any large gift to public or religious projects obligated the receiver to reciprocate to the giver in some way. Kindness was repaid with loyalty and generosity with public appreciation. The few upper-class people who attended Christian services expected privileged treatment. To ignore these expectations would have brought disgrace on the church. A failure to be politically correct or to reject societal values was a recipe for offence and a cause for division. Question. Read Mark chapter 2 verses 16 and Luke chapter 11 verse 43. What societal expectations are involved? How do they conflict with the principles of the gospel? Well, let's look first at Mark chapter 2, verse 16. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And Luke eleven forty-three, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces. It is not a sin to be poor or rich, but one barometer of our Christian experience is how we treat people who are different from us in age, wealth, education, and even religious convictions. We tend to give more respect to those we perceive as above us on the social ladder and less respect to those below. We must remember that it is easy to get pulled into convention 
even though God calls us to be different, as in Romans 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So to finish the day, let's face it, we might not be as open and as crass about it as James depicted, but are we not all easily susceptible to playing favourites? How can we learn to recognise this problem in ourselves and ultimately deal with it? Monday, October 27, Class Struggle As every literature evangelist knows, very often those who have the least are willing to sacrifice the most to buy Christian books. Well-to-do neighbourhoods tend to be tough territory to sell books in because the people who live there may be content with what they have and so very often do not feel their need of God as much as those who have less. The same phenomenon is also detectable on a much larger scale. The church often has grown the fastest in places and periods of economic and social stress. After all, aren't even those individuals who are struggling with big issues often more open to the hope presented in the story of Jesus than are those who think that things are going great for them? Question. Read James chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. How does James expand here on what he wrote in the previous four verses? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Judging from this passage, it would seem that there were major issues in the church among the rich and the poor. God chose the poor who, though rejected by the world, were rich in faith, while the rich used their wealth to oppress the poor. This problem, that of the rich exploiting the poor, was an ever-present reality at that time. Even worse, Roman law codified discrimination against the poor and in favour of the rich. As Craig S. Keener writes in the IVP Bible Background Commentary of the New Testament, page 694, persons of lower class who were thought to act from economic self-interest could not bring accusations against persons of higher class, and the laws prescribed harsher penalties for lower class persons convicted of offences than for offenders from the higher class. Question. Read James 2, verse 7 again. What important point does James make here about the impact of this bad behaviour? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Their bad behaviour is really blasphemy against the good name of Jesus. Bad actions are bad enough in and of themselves. What makes them worse is when those who profess the name of Jesus do them. 
and even worse would be those who, in the name of Jesus, use their wealth or power to gain advantage over others in the churches, which often leads to divisions and quarrels. Hence, how careful we should be that our words and actions match the good name we associate ourselves with. Tuesday, October 28, Loving Our Neighbours Question. Read James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, along with Leviticus 19, verses 17 and 18, and Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45. What crucial message are we being given here? Well, first of all, James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And Leviticus 19, verses 17 and 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbour and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. And Matthew 5, verses 43 to 45. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. James calls God's law the royal law in James 2 verse 8 because it is the law of the king of kings as we read in Revelation 19 verse 16. The law of his kingdom is given in detail in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6 and 7 which includes the first of nine references in the New Testament to loving our neighbour. Jesus' words in Matthew 5.43 suggest the way the Leviticus 19 verse 18 was understood at the time. For example, the immediately preceding commands in Leviticus use apparent synonyms for one's neighbour. They prohibit hating one's brother and holding a grudge against one's fellow Israelite. Most likely, some interpreted these commands to mean it would be fine to be angry with or hate someone who was not an Israelite, because he or she is not specifically mentioned in these Levitical texts. After all, people who were not Israelites were also generally considered to be enemies. We now know that such an attitude existed in the Qumram community, a group of devout Jews who had separated themselves from the rest of the nation. They were taught to hate the children of darkness and the men of perdition, labels which apparently included not only foreigners but even Israelites who had rejected the community's teachings. From the book Desire of Ages, page 504, we read, Sin is the greatest of all evils, and it is ours to pity and help the sinner. There are many who err and who feel their shame and their folly. They are hungry for words of encouragement. They look upon their mistakes and errors until they are driven almost to desperation. 
These souls we are not to neglect. If we are Christians, we shall not pass by on the other side, keeping as far as possible from the very ones who most need our help. When we see human beings in distress, whether through affliction or through sin, we shall never say, This does not concern me. So to finish today, Jesus' life is the greatest example we'll ever have of selfless love for the undeserving and those who didn't love back. How can we learn to express such love for those whom we deem undeserving or who don't love us back? Why, in the end, is complete self-surrender and death to self the only answer? Wednesday, October 29, The Whole Law Question. Read James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Now read the passages listed in the table below and classify them as either emphasizing the whole law, the law of love, or both. Well, let's read James 2, verses 10 and 11. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point... He is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And we're going to compare that with Matthew 5, verses 18 and 19. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And in Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And Galatians chapter 3 verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And Galatians chapter 5 and verse 3, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. And Galatians 5.14 For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is hard for us to grasp how radical Jesus' teaching on the law was. For devout Jews then, 
And for many today, one cannot really claim to keep the law without a commitment to keeping all the laws found in the book of Moses. Eventually, 613 separate laws were identified, 248 positive laws and 365 negative ones. The question put to Jesus about which law was most important in Matthew 22.36 was probably meant to trap him. But although Jesus seems to have affirmed every jot, the smallest Hebrew letter in Matthew 5.18, as important, he also taught that love to God and love to our neighbour were the most important commandments because they sum up all the others. Jesus' teaching also shows that obedience cannot be done in a vacuum. It is always relational, or it is meaningless. In other words, if I tithe because I'm afraid of being lost if I don't, it is not relational. On the other hand, if I tithe out of gratitude for how much God has given me, then my actions are based on my relationship with God. Jesus also spoke about the weightier matters of the law as being judgment, mercy and faith in Matthew 23 verse 23. All of these revolve around relationships too, with God and with other people. James is therefore not saying anything different than did Jesus or Paul. Any transgression of God's law damages to some extent our relationship to God and to others. So it is not a question of having enough good deeds to outweigh our bad deeds. That is obedience in a vacuum, acting as if it all revolves around us. Instead, by knowing Jesus, we begin to direct our attention away from ourselves and toward devotion to God and service to others. So to finish today, how much of your obedience comes from your love for God and others, and how much from a sense of obligation? Is working from obligation always wrong, though? Perhaps you don't feel love for a person, but help him or her only because you know you are supposed to. What, if anything, is wrong with that? Thursday, October 30, Judged by the Law Question. Read James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, but also look at John 12:48, Romans 2, 12 and 13, and 2 Corinthians 5, 10, along with Revelation 20, verses 12 and 13. What do these verses teach about judgment? Well, first of all, James 2, verses 12 and 13. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And John 12, verse 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And Revelation 2, verses 12 and 13. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And Second Corinthians 5, verse 10. But we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
and Revelation 20, verses 12 and 13. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Nothing is clearer than the teaching that we will be judged by the law based on what we have done, whether for good or for evil. At the same time, too, the Bible also is clear that through faith in Jesus we are covered by his righteousness. This covering entails two aspects, forgiveness, justification, and obedience, sanctification. Colossians 2.6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It is often said that we will be judged based not only on what we have done, but also on what we have not done. While this is true, many have a wrong idea of what this means. It is not about doing more things. That is a recipe for discouragement and self-defeat. Notice how James describes it in the first half of verse 13. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Again, it is a relational definition of doing. If we thought about it long enough, we would become so paranoid about the judgment that we would give up in despair. But that is not what it means to fear God for the hour of his judgment has come in Revelation 14.7. Instead, we must always trust in the righteousness of Jesus, whose merits alone are our only hope in the judgment. It's our love for God who has saved us by his righteousness that should spur us on to do all the things that he has called us to do. At the same time, the warnings in the Bible about the judgment are there for our good so that we do not lull ourselves into a false sense of security. James says in James 2.13, which we just read, mercy triumphs over judgment. We must remember his words, especially when we deal with those who have fallen into the worst of sins. So to finish today, have you ever messed up really bad, and when you expected only condemnation and judgment, you were given mercy, grace, and forgiveness instead? How did you feel? How can you make sure that you don't forget that the next time someone else messes up bad? Friday, October 31. From the book Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 107, God has acknowledged you before men and angels as his child. Pray that you may do no dishonor to the worthy name by which ye are called, James 2.7. God sends you into the world as his representative. In every act of life you are to make manifest the name of God. This you can do only through the acceptance of the grace and righteousness of Christ. And comment in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 936. 
through Christ, justice is enabled to forgive without sacrificing one jot of its exalted holiness. And that brings us to our five discussion questions for this week. One, Gandhi summed up the thinking of many when he said, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Why, unfortunately, is it not hard to understand why he said that? And though, of course, it's so easy to look at what others have done in the name of Christ, why must we instead look at ourselves and what we have done in the name of Jesus? How well do we reveal him to the world around us? Two, is your local church a place where people feel valued and respected regardless of their background, social standing, idiosyncrasies and so on? If not, what can you do to make a difference? Three, What are some of the traditions and social norms in your country that are contrary to the principles of the biblical faith? What are some overt ones? And what are some of the more subtle ones? After identifying what they are, how can you learn to transcend them so that you are able to live out and reveal the principles of the gospel in a way that could show others that Jesus offers us all a better way of life? For it's one thing to love your neighbour, but... What does it mean to love God? In class, discuss what it means to love God, why we love Him, and how we express that love. And five, mercy triumphs over judgment. What does that mean on a practical level, such as when we have to deal with those who do wrong? What kind of balance is needed there? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is the second part of Angels on Main Street. As the girls hurried on through the night, they passed three young men. They didn't look up when the boys pointed fingers at them or made crude remarks, but kept walking as quickly as they could. Then they became aware that someone was following them. It must be one of the three boys, Rocio thought. The girls did not look back, but kept walking toward their destination. Rocio squeezed Mary's hand and whispered a prayer. Dear God, please help us. Suddenly the girls heard a noise. Was it a shout, a cry of surprise? Out of the corner of her eye, Rocio could see that the boys who had been following them had turned and were running the other way. They seemed to be fleeing something, or someone, as if they were being chased. The girls hurried on their way, stopping for nothing until they had reached the safety of the university. Again they thanked God for guiding them safely back home. The next morning, Rocio dressed and hurried to the bus stop to wait for the bus that would take her to work. As she stood waking, she overheard a conversation between two young men. Last night we tried to take two girls that we saw walking alone. We followed them for a little ways, looking for the best chance to grab them. Then suddenly we saw two men walking with them. I don't know where they came from, but they were strong and looked threatening. They frightened us, so we ran the other way. As Rocio listened to the boys' conversation, she felt as if she had touched electricity. Two strong men. I saw no men, only the troublemakers. 
When the boys had stopped talking, she turned and looked into the eyes of the boy who had told his friend what had happened the night before. "'Do you know who I am?' she asked. The boy shook his head. "'No. Those two young girls you were talking about are my sister and me. We were coming home from church when you began to follow us. But we believe in Jesus, and we asked him to take care of us. Those two men you saw with us last night were God's holy angels.' The boys stood speechless as they listened to this girl talk openly about God. If you like, I can help you get to know God. I invite you to visit my church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The Holy Spirit moved the heart of that young person, and the next Sabbath he visited the church. He continued attending the little church in the ghetto, and soon began Bible studies. In time, he was baptized. That little neighbourhood church has grown rapidly, and today a large congregation meets to worship the all-powerful God of heaven. And the young people of Medellin continue to visit neighbourhoods in search of those honest-hearted people who are seeking God. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.